process of grace, Genesis chapter 29 and verse 1. Our, our message tonight is going to be a narrative. The passages are told in a story, and it's our task then basically to consider the story as the Bible presents it. And I'll intersperse the story with some comments and remarks along the way. Uh, but our goal tonight is to see how that God was working in Jacob uh, to change him. Now, God's already given him a new name. And yes, it is written down in glory. Uh, he has a new name, and that name is written down, uh, but uh, he hasn't really received the, all the promises relating to it yet. Uh, God is uh, making him a new creation, and the way that God changes him from Jacob to Israel is really a classic and uh, we begin looking at this period that we call the process of grace. We'll return to this uh, next week to conclude it. Genesis chapter 29 and verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to him, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter, Rachel, is coming with the sheep. Genesis uh, chapter 29. Now Jacob has had that wonderful encounter with God where he saw that there was a living link between this world and the next, and he saw the one who is that living link. And in case there was any question about it, Jesus cleared that up for us in the New Testament uh, when he said that he would see the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. Jesus Christ himself, you see, is that living link. That's what Jacob's ladder was all about. God didn't make a way for us to climb our way to heaven step by step, rung by rung. No, that's not the significance of that story. It is a story of how God came to us to create a way by which we could come to him and his angels then could minister freely uh, into this world, and that living link was Jesus Christ. As a result, Jacob would know that the God of Abraham, his grandfather, and the God of Isaac, his father, was going to be the God of Jacob. Yes, even the God of Jacob. Now, he's a new man. That incredible loneliness that he must have felt has been replaced by an awareness of God's glorious presence. I'm glad tonight that I can say that our salvation is a complete salvation. Uh, we are not saved, and then we grow in saved. No, we don't become, become saveder, and I've said it before and I'll say it again tonight. Thank God nobody is the savedest. I would not want to be in the church with the savedest person. Uh, but our salvation is a complete salvation. We are born again, and our new birth is a perfect birth. We are as saved as we'll ever be saved the moment that we are saved. But the Bible does talk about growth, spiritual growth. And it approaches that under the general heading of the word sanctification. And a lot of confusion exists 
in the religious world tonight because they don't understand there's a difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation is a one-time event. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are saved because that's what He promises us. Whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved. But then that process begins by which God changes us from the inside out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 puts it this way, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's about as plain as it gets, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure what God wants in my life. Well, let me answer that question biblically for you tonight. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that's the human body, our flesh, in sanctification and honor, uh, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And he puts before us then the process of sanctification in a nutshell, and it is, are we going to possess the vessel, or is the vessel going to possess us? Put it another way, are we going to control the vessel, the flesh, the body, or is the body going to control us? And it is a never, ever ending process as long as we are in this life. Uh, that process is going to go on. It is God's work through Jesus Christ and His grace and mercy so that the inward change that He produced in us when He saved us becomes our outward testimony. Paul would put it this way in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that passage of Scripture is often brought up by people who believe that you have to work uh, for, for your salvation or you have to work to keep yourself saved but that's not what it says it simply asks us to work out that is bring to the outside what God has already put in us on the inside it is that process say it plainly again that process by which God makes that inward change that he produced in us when he saved us if any man is in Christ he is what a new creation a new creature Old things have passed away, and behold, all things that have become new. And that is true of us on the inside, on the spiritual side. But it is a long process that God works out for us, and that we then are called to work out for ourselves. You work it out yourself. It's not like uh, that we have no investment in this. If you're saved tonight, you're saved because Jesus Christ paid it all. Amen? When it comes to salvation, it's all God. It's all grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. But sanctification is different. Sanctification says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The fear of God. The fear of failure. The fear of losing our testimony. We bring to the outside then. So our testimony, the life that we live, becomes more like what we are on the inside. Now Jacob has had a life-changing personal encounter with God. 
like you and I, though he's been saved, he's still got a whole lot of Jacob in him. And he's going to have to learn how to deal with Jacob in order for the will of God and the plan of God to become prominent in his life. Now, we'll not discuss these chapters with careful exposition, but we're going to be covering 20 years in Jacob's life in a couple of messages. 20 years. I'm going to talk about everything that happened because the Bible doesn't talk about everything that happened. But it gives us enough details that we can see the story of how God was working by His grace to change him and how that Jacob began to see the need for him to change. Now the way that God is going to work this out in Jacob's life is by introducing him to a man who was very much like him. (laughs) Now when it comes to being a Jacob, uh, nobody was a better Jacob than his uncle Laban. I mean, they were just like only difference between Laban and Jacob is that, number one, Laban, as far as I can tell, may not have been a believer. May not have been a believer. He might have been, but he may not have been. And so I'll just put that out there. Uh, I hope when we get to heaven I'll, that we'll see old Uncle Laban. I hope he's there. I really do. Uh, but the only adva- other advantage that he had was he was several years Jacob's senior. He was older and had more experience. Not saying he was better at it. Uh, But he was older. For 20 years then, God was going to hold up a mirror in front of him and say, this is just what you're going to be unless you change. One uh, commentary described him with the description that Charles Dickens gave to Ebenezer Scrooge. He said he was a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, carping, whatever that means, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, secret and self-contained as an oyster. Uncle Laban, that was him. Jacob had been to Bethel to meet God. But God is going to now take him down to Haran to meet himself. And for 20 years... He's going to see himself through that mirror. It's a good way and a good time for us to reflect on the fact tonight that God has a way of bringing people into our lives who will work to help get the Jacob out of us. And a lot of times, the way they do that is they're just like us. Have you ever noticed that some people are too much alike to get along? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, here's a person, and they're talking about, man, I just can't stand old so-and-so. I just can't. And we're thinking, we don't say it, not if we're smart, but we're thinking, well, the reason y'all don't like each other is because you're just alike. What I'm about to say is going to sting a bit. That's just a warning. It's really tough on us when we're kids, when it's our kids. I just don't know what I'm going to do with my girl or my boy. I don't know. Somebody, probably your parents, (laughs) their grandparents are thinking, yeah, they're just like their mama or their dad. It's tough on us when we have to see our own flaws in the faces of people that we love, in the lives of people that we love, especially our kids. 
This is what's going to go on with Jacob and Laban. Now, the details of this story are fun. I love telling this story, uh, and uh, I'm thankful tonight to have the opportunity to do it. And uh, so we'll get started. Genesis chapter 29, verse 9. Uh, so Jacob, we, we saw in our text, has, has met these folks. They have gathered together at a well. It's a place where everybody brought their flocks. And apparently, instead of opening the well up, it was co they covered it up with a stone. And instead of opening up again and again and again, it's apparently a very heavy stone. Uh, they waited until all the flocks had gathered in the same place, and then they'd roll the stone back together. They'd water everybody's herd, and, and, and then they'd uh, cover the, the stone back up. That's the, the order of the way things usually went. And so Jacob understands that. He has arrived there. He's asked about his uncle Laban. And he says, oh, by the way, there's his daughter Rachel coming and bringing uh, her father's shock. Not, not, not her, her father's sheep. Not uh, a coincidence, as we say. And so verse 9 says, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Jacob was a pretty stout guy, apparently. Normally that was done by several men, but he did it himself. Those of you who might think he, he's probably just trying to impress Rachel, you might be right. That's a very manly kind of thing to do. Well, <laughs> We won't wait for everybody. I'll just go do that himself. Well, he attracted her attention, no doubt. And so he, verse 11, uh, he, or verse 10, he went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lift up his voice and wept. Uh, now, some of you young folks may be thinking that, uh, you know, this makes it just fine to, to kiss at first sight, you know, uh, kiss on the first date. Well, well, don't take this passage as an example of any kind of courtship ritual, okay? In, in the first place, Rachel was his cousin. In the second place, the next thing you're going to see, it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, verse 13, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. Uh, so if you're going to kiss the girl, you've got to kiss her daddy too. See how that works out for you, young people. Uh, not many of you in the house tonight. Uh, but uh, see how that works out for you and get back with me. <clears throat> okay? So he saw her. He kissed her. Listen, we know the kiss in Bible times was a form of greeting. They kissed on the cheek, not on the mouth. Uh, and it was a form of greeting. And he was overjoyed because he was seeing his family. That's what he was understanding. It's what he was feeling. And uh, Laban said to him, Surely you are bo my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Remember tonight that Jacob had been sent away from his family with nothing. He had the birthright. He had the blessing. But Isaac sent him away penniless. He was going to have a, a fortune someday, but right now he's got nothing. And nobody with him. So the fact that he had arrived in Haran, the fact that he had made that difficult and dangerous journey by himself and, and was now finally in the presence of his kinfolk that he had come to see, uh, had him uh, just overjoyed, overjoyed. Now the Bible covers all that happened in this period with a simple statement. He stayed with him for a month. We know a lot can happen in a month. 
Uh, when you're dealing with a Laban, for one thing, if you're going to stay in his house for a month, you're going to work. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jacob did. Uh, he went to work for, his dad, for, his for the man that was going to be his father-in-law. He went to work for his uncle Laban. And then after a month then, Uncle Laban said, well, I guess I need to pay you something, son. What do you want to get out of this? Let's talk about your wages. Verse 15. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, <laughs> Jacob said. Then said, Laban said to Jacob, because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. Uh, that's the Bible's way of saying that she was uh, not a real pretty girl. Uh, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Hey, we still talk about people who are easy on the eyes, so this expression is not that unusual for us. Uh, Leah was not that person. Uh, but Rachel was. She was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. It's been a month. He is head over heels in love with Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. In other words, Laban said nothing about him serving seven years for Rachel. He did agree that he was going to give her to him, but he didn't nail down the fine print of the contract. Do you see that in the passage? Uh, sure, you, uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'd rather give her to you than somebody else, so stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And this wonderful passage says they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had. For her. Seven years. Seven years. He had to be around Rachel every day. Seven years. They were together constantly. He, they lived in the same household. They were around each other all the time. Seven years. Seven years. But the Bible says the days flew by. You see, Jacob was penniless. And he knew that the custom of the day required that you didn't just ask for a wife uh, with nothing in your hand to offer uh, as a bride price, they would have called it. You see, getting a wife was a costly, costly business. Laban may well have asked him, and Jacob would have anticipated this. Uh, well, you know, son, what are your prospects? And he would have been able to say, well, you know, I'm going to be a rich man someday. Uh, in fact, uh, the will has already been made out. I helped Dad make it, as a matter of fact. Uh, I know that I'm going to be a very wealthy man someday. But what do you have right now? I have these two hands. That was their agreement. I will work for you without a salary for seven years. And at the end of that seven years, then, I will be able to marry your daughter. Laban agreed to that, said that's going to be fine. So Jacob went on in a flash. You know, the Bible tells us there in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1, we saw a few moments ago that Jacob went on his journey. It's interesting that in Hebrew it talks about how that he had lightened feet. 
Uh, where before, when he went away from his father being sent away the way he was, I'm sure his steps were trudging. But now he's met the Lord, and he's got light feet. <laughs> and now that he's met Rachel, his feet are even lighter. He was able to roll that stone away with no problem. He's now worked for seven years, and they flew by. He's got light feet and light hands. It, he's excited about being married. Finally, the agreed-upon time was over, and so verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, and my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. Uh, that is, that I might consummate the, the marriage. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. That was their custom. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. Uh, that's how the marriage ceremony played out. And Jacob went in to her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said then to Laban, that's Jacob, said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Uncle Laban. Well, Jacob got married. And he woke up the next morning and discovered he was married to the wrong woman. And I've always said, you know, there's probably been a, a lot of men, nobody in this building tonight, that have had that feeling. But uh, I read recently about a, a young lady, and uh, she was wearing a wedding ring on the wrong finger. And somebody asked her why she was wearing her wedding ring on the wrong finger. And she said, because I married the wrong man. All of you check right quick. And... Uh, If you see in this a certain degree of poetic justice, you are seeing what the Scripture puts before us. When Joseph, or when Jacob then, incensed that his father Laban had deceived him in such a way and married him to his daughter Leah instead of Rachel, the only explanation he got was, you see, in, in this country, in our country, we respect the rights of the firstborn. Hmm. Jacob then did so. That is, he fulfilled a week. He stayed with her as he said. And then Uncle Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Now, some of you along about this point may be asking, where's the sanctification in all this? Uh, he's ended up now, he's married to two women. That was never God's plan or God's intention. How in the world is God changing him and God working in him? Well... I think we can learn something here tonight uh, that there's a lot of things that happen in your life and mine that's never God's plan and never God's intention. Would you agree with that? Uh, there's no other way to say it. We mess up. 
we mess up. I'm not here tonight to tell you that it's okay to mess up. But I am here tonight to tell you that God has a grace for our mess ups. And that just because we might mess up from time to time does not mean that God can't still work through that to accomplish our sanctification and make us more like Jesus Christ. Let's understand tonight that perfection is unattainable in this life. Amen? Perfection is unattainable. But we can see how the decisions are made, choices are made, things play out sometimes before us. It may forfeit God's best. God never intended for Jacob to be married to more than one woman. That was never God's plan. Jesus expressed God's plan very plainly. When the Pharisees asked him about that and, that, and his own disciples then later would ask him about divorce, both times he brought up God's plan. You know how it was, he said in the beginning, God made a male and female. All right, and he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Jesus would add this, What God therefore hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That was God's plan all along. That was God's plan. And what happens here and what's playing out for us in Genesis chapter 29 was a violation of God's plan. But choices have been made, decisions have been made, actions have been taken, and those things can't be undone. And what was going to come, I'm going to say in my theological way, is a mess. A mess. The Bible tells it this way, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. And I've added in the meaning of these names just so you can see them along. That's not in the text. I added those. That's why they're uh, italicized and, and put in... Uh, uh, Different colors. Reuben means behold a son. Uh, Leah conceived and bore a son. Ha ha, I've got a son. Behold a son. Reuben, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Isn't that a sad thing? Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon means hearing. God's heard me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name was called Levi, which means attached. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and that means praise. It's interesting that by the time her fourth son was born, Leah wasn't uh, thinking about her husband loving her anymore. She was just thinking about the praise of God. We'll praise you, God, for what you've done. And that's interesting that that is Judah and the tribe of Judah, and the one from which the Messiah Jesus, of course, would come. 
Judah was indeed a source of praise for the Lord. But then we see Rachel's response. Verse 1, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And so she said, Here's my maid Bilhah. Go in unto her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Now at this point, we might expect uh, old Jacob to think about how this situation worked out for Grandpa Abraham. You might be thinking, did that work out real well? Uh, but Jacob wasn't thinking much at this point, and uh, Rachel said, well, just take my maid Bilhah, and so he did, and he went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son, and Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he's also heard my voice and given me a son, therefore she called his name Dan, and Dan means a judge. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again. And bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And that means a wrestling. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing then. She took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as his wife. And we might again say, Well, isn't he thinking about how this worked out with Grandpa Abraham? No, he's not thinking about that. And so he went into Zilpah, and Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, a troop comes. Uh, we don't have trouble understanding that. Uh, boy, there's going to be a whole bunch more. And so she called his name Gad, and that means fortune or troop. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, I'm happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, and that means, of course, blessed and happy. How would you like to be a fly on the wall when this family sits down for supper at night? Huh? Can you imagine? Jacob's had children by four different women. Verse 14, now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. Uh, uh, that's a root uh, valued in biblical times and even still today in some cultures. And they brought him to them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, well, give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, well, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And so when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I've surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And that means hired. Hired. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. Once again, hope has been revived that she'd actually be able to have a relationship with her husband. She called his name Zebulon, and that means dwelling. 
Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. That means vindicated. Then at last God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. That means increase. Twenty years. Twenty years. Twelve kids that the Bible records. Eleven sons. One daughter, Dinah. Other people have asked over the years, so I'll simply address the question tonight. Brother Rich, do you think this is all the kids they had? This is all the kids the Bible tells us they had. If they had other kids, we don't know about it. I'll just stick with what the Bible says. He had 11 boys and one daughter. Isn't it unusual to have that many sons and only one girl? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. And we'll find out more about that situation later on. For 14 years then, Jacob will live his life under the constant awareness of what trickery and scheming will do to a family. Because Laban conspired to see, I said 20 years, it's 14, that the rights of the firstborn were preserved in a very deceptive way. Time has come and he's now saying, I'm ready to go back home again. There's Jacob, and there's Laban. And around Jacob now are four women, 12 kids. And between their family, then, there's a constant state of scheming and controversy and conflict and distrust. There's one woman, one sister, selling a husband to her other sister. Kind of reminds you of a bowl of beans transaction that Jacob had once conducted. All these years then, God is showing them. This is what Jacob does. This is how a Jacob life turns out. When you live by your wits and you live by your own strength and your own power, this is what you're going to produce. Turmoil, conflict, deception, distrust. And yet while all of that is true, let's not forget tonight that there was 11 boys and a sweet little spoiled rotten girl. <laughs> It wasn't all bad. Amen. You see, the Bible says where sin abounds, what happens? Grace doth much more abound. And even in this awful situation, full of Jacob, God's grace is working. And out of that comes great provisions. You might know some situations in your life. You might have them right there. You might look at that time and you say, I missed God. God said, go right, and I went left. God said, 
go a different direction and I went the way that I thought was right. I, I, I abandoned God's purpose. I abandoned God's plan. I did the wrong thing. And I made a mess. Yep. But you know, if you look around, you might see that in the midst of that mess, God brought some great blessings to you, even in your mess, that you'd never turn loose of. Sometimes it's other people that we see going the wrong way, headed the wrong way. Sometimes it's our kids. But even though our kids went the wrong way, they bring something back to us that's so precious and so valuable. <laughs> it's called grandkids. And we might imagine someday, you know, if I could undo all of this, wouldn't it be great if I could just go back and stop this? And No, you wouldn't stop it. You'd have to give back some of the most precious things that God has brought you. Out of the midst of this mess, God's grace is still working in Jacob. And he's still working in you and me too. We can learn then tonight and next week as, the, as it even develops further that uh, God's grace is sufficient. He continues to work. And He never abandons His purposes. He's out to change us to become more like Jesus Christ. And He never gives up. And He keeps working. Even though we mess up, his grace is sufficient. Maybe tonight that has a message just for you. And uh, if so, it, it certainly had a message for me. If it has a message for you tonight, then I'd encourage you uh, to take that up with the Lord. Bring Him your mess. He can turn it into a great ministry. We'll let Him. Maybe tonight you need to be saved. Maybe tonight you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe tonight... Uh, you realize you need to be a part of this church family, maybe tonight. You've got a mess you want to bring to the master so he can turn it into a ministry. Do it. It's your time. Let's stand together.